Welcome to the Special Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. Let's open the file on Lenny and the locker. Before we open the file today all the way, Jen, I first want to let everybody know that we have a guest today, and her name is Robin Fox. She has a master's in education and is a social-emotional learning educator. And I'm going to keep everybody on pins and needles because we're (laughs) going to introduce Robin at the Rewind. So, Jen, let's open Lenny in the Locker with the facts. What's going on with Lenny in the Locker? Okay. So here are the facts um, that were involved in Lenny's case. So Lenny um, was a student who had an IEP, Individualized Education Program, under the eligibility category of autism. He had been diagnosed with Asperger's disorder, which is no longer a a category that that, uh, doctors issue a diagnosis on, but essentially what it meant is he was highly verbal, very bright kid who also was on the autism spectrum and had significant social skills deficits. And his parents were very good advocates for him. And well before I got involved, they um, had put together a really good team in the school district um, of educators who were giving him a tremendous amount of social skills instruction. And since early elementary school, he had, you know, a significant amount of service of, of the support of both a speech and language pathologist and a social worker and social skills were front and center in his IEP. And, um, you know, he was doing quite well and mastering his goals year after year um, in this top, in this subject, in this discipline. When um, he got to high school, though, Julie, what seemed to happen is that what was clear is that he could identify in one-to-one sessions with uh, the the therapists uh, what the right response would be in a social situation. But Mm -hmm. in reality, in the actual application of those social skills in school, he was not able to do that effectively. And unfortunately, what this resulted in is he did not understand that there was a group of boys that pretty soon into the school year started to target him. And he thought they were his friends, uh, but they were not. And they were doing some very unkind things, including almost every day stuffing him into his locker. Um, and, you know, his, his parents became aware of this. He thought that this was all good fun, but it was them teasing him mercilessly. There were a number of other things going on that were really unkind, putting things in his backpack, you know, that old food. And it was just a very upsetting situation. And he did not recognize that this was um, him being bullied. And his parents uh, became very concerned about the situation. And um, ultimately, unfortunately, and this happens, we see it frequently, is that when bullying comes up, sometimes school districts get very defensive. Mm-hmm. And the team at the high school was new to the family. They didn't have a an established trust relationship with them yet. And so when they started saying and reporting the bullying, they were getting defensive responses in, instead of proactive responses. And after numerous attempts to resolve the situation, they contacted me. I got involved. Thankfully, um, the district has a very reasonable director and attorney who represents them. And we were able to problem solve around it. Um, but this is, you know, it was very upsetting for the parents and, and, and for Lenny ultimately because – 
um, you know, for him to come to the realization that these kids who he thought were his new high school friends were in fact bullying him was, uh, was upsetting. So those are the facts. If I had a nickel for every time that I looked at an IEP, an individualized education plan, and saw that social skills, social competencies are still in the IEP where the expected skill is to demonstrate that skill in a small group and not generalize it. So I know we're going to get into that when we we talk to Robin, but this I see this so often, and it is um, unfortunate that Lenny perceived this as friendship. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we're going to get into just even talking about you know helping kids understand what the definition of friendship is. But let's get right into the law. And the first thing that I want to say about the law is Jen is that. Every state is different, right? But here in Connecticut, where you know Jen and I live and practice, um, we have bullying laws, right? Mm-hmm. And we have um, uh, procedures in place. One of the regulations is is that every school district has to have a reporting mechanism for bullying. So please check out what your state's law and regulations are around bullying. Great suggestion. And Julie, your your last comment under the facts was a great segue into the law because what you discussed in terms of the delivery of those social skills, um, inst- of that social skills instruction uh, being in a one-to-one setting, you know, the IEP mm-hmm. is required by federal law to outline how how services are delivered, the frequency and duration of those services, the location of those services, which individuals, not by name, but by practice area, will be providing them, et cetera. And that's really where the rubber meets the road for families to understand their child's uh, program is, you know, how is it going to happen? So we all agree that social skills are an issue. We've developed goals and objectives around it. How is this um, instruction going to be delivered? And it makes sense that they are delivered, especially initially in a one-to-one setting or in a small group in a related service provider's you know, therapy room. I mean, that makes sense. And that certainly was what, where Lenny was getting these services. But, you know, as he, this was going on, one would hope that over time that service could be pushed into the mainstream. And so, um, you know, you need to be very cautious as a parent and have those important conversations with your team about how are we going to do this? Because for Lenny, what happened, and, and this was no, through no fault of anyone other than, um, you know, hindsight, you know, hindsight once they got to high school is it, it was constant, it was consistently delivered in um, a pullout model where he was mm-hmm. in a room with a therapist and, and it, it had never been delivered through his IEP uh, in the mainstream or in a larger group environment, unstructured environments, which are of course where those social skills are usually the most important. Right. And, you know, I, I just want to make two notes real quickly. You know, the, obviously that's generalized beyond the, the, the teaching of, mm-hmm. of, of the model, right? But also, I you know, Jen, I like to call social skills instead of social skills, social competencies. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when we think, when I think of social skills, it's the hello, how are you? Sort of all those basic niceties, right? This goes well beyond that. And this is having the competencies that we need to recognize when we're being teased, when we're being bullied, when, you know, that, that the, the perspective taking and all of those things. So yes. And Julie, you know, the, 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 also the law is implicated in two important ways. One that we talk about, I think every episode, which is that the IDEA Mm -hmm. contemplates that education is more than just academics Mm -hmm. and that functional and adaptive skills 
are absolutely part of the specialized instruction that students are required to receive, especially when the area of disability, like for Lenny, is in in non-academic areas. But yeah, go ahead, Julie. No, no, I was just going to say a word about present levels of academic achievement and functional performance, unless you were going to beat me to that. No, and you take that and then I'll add my other point. You got it. So, you know, in the IEP, um, there is something called the present levels of academic achievement and functional performance. Now, while all um, states within the United States um, may put this, um, you know, be in, all the IEP forms are different in, in every state, but this is a federal uh, mandate where this must be in every IEP, right? And what is the present levels of academic achievement and functional performance? Well, when we talk about um academic achievement. We're we're looking at, you know, our reading, our writing, our language arts, math, science, history, etc. Anything that involves academics. But th- this situation with Lenny falls into the fact that Lenny's IEP has to recognize his functional performance. Exactly. And these are the skills or activi- and activities that are not considered academic or related to a child's academic achievement, but the skills we need for day-to-day living. And you know, Jen, the IDEA doesn't actually define functional performance, but it's generally known um, to be the skills we need from, from for day-to-day living because you, the, the skills that you need for day-to-day living are going to vary greatly between um, child uh, from child to child, and it is understood that this could be very wide and interpreted to whatever it needs to be for your child, right? Um, so their unique, you, their unique needs, which is what the I and IEP individualized is the requirement that we look at each child's u- unique needs and develop a program for them. And so, um, you know, Julie, it's a great segue to the point I was going to also make about the law, which is uh, something we don't talk about a lot around the IEP table, but should, which is that the law does require federally that um, non-academics and extracurriculars are to be addressed through the IEP. And where could this be more important than for social skills, right? Because especially as we move along in in our education and get into uh, middle and high school, the the opportunities for social interaction while you're in class are supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be focusing on the academics in the classroom right. in most of in the most school systems. Mm-hmm. And so those opportunities for interaction with your non-disabled peers, um, they are best um, seen in those unstructured activities like recess or lunch, if there is recess at, at a higher grade, not usually, um, but also in clubs and, and ath- athletics. And so for some students, that may be something that we need to address in the IEP that you're going to be provided some supports so that you can participate in those activities and develop and practice those social skills. Right. And, you know, I will mention, Jen, that, you know, one of the um, uh, common core standard threads is that you will be able to work in groups. So I always like to remind parents of that because there are those opportunities in academic arenas where you have to work in groups um, within the classroom. And that's often where kids, um, you know, with social competency deficits um, will get into trouble as well. Yeah. So, and also the bus. I, I feel oh, like we yeah. must mention the bus. Trans, uh, you know, so many of my clients, that's where mm-hmm. 
They because there's the least amount of adult supervision in most situations on the bus. It is highly unstructured. Um, it's probably more structured, you know, at, at certain grades than at others. But I have many, many clients who, even if they're not experiencing real difficulty socially in school, they are on the way to and from home, and that's where some sometimes we end up needing additional support as well. So this is where we need to remind people that the uh, transportation is a related service under the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, just like speech and OT, PT, and all those other lovely um, related services. So this is great because we're now going to get to the rewind. But, you know, we know that Lenny eventually had a good outcome because you swooped in and helped the parents and, and it was all resolved through the IEP. But what we'd love for our listeners to do is... If this is resonating with you at all, we'd love for you to figure out how do we avoid something like this in my own child's IEP? Or if you're a teacher or someone who's working in a school district and you this resonates with you, how, how can we avoid this? So I'm going to introduce Robin Fox, who, like I said, has a master's in education and is a social emotional learning educator. She's also a lifelong meditator and a, profesh- a professional improv actor. She has been working in private and public schools K through 12 as a special education professional, trainer, and consultant for over 40 years. Her social emotional learning curriculum, Socialize Together, transforms children's lives to walk forward into their future with self-confidence, compassion, and reliance. Robin is a member of the Social and Emotional Collaborative in Connecticut. She is also part of the Working Committee Revising the Components of Social, Emotional, and Intellectual Habits, grades 4 through 12, for the Connecticut State Department of Education. And you can visit her website at www.social-eyes.org. Welcome. Robin. Thank Hi, you Robin. so much. Hi, Jen. It's so good to be here, and I love this topic. It is near and dear to my heart, and I have so many um, ideas about how we can go forward and uh, really diminish this kind of behavior on in, in a lot of different ways. Um, the first way, and I think this is the real elephant in the room, And that is that all kids, all students need social emotional learning. We need to level the playing field here so that everyone is operating with a knowledge of how their words, their actions, and their um, behaviors affect everyone else. And we don't really have that sense until we get to know people. So we see them as um, humans who are uh, who belong, and the way that we do that is we get to know people, and that's one of the magical aspects of uh, having a social emotional learning program in in a school because everyone is learning about emotions, about resilience, about kindness, about empathy, about flexibility, and we become a school with a culture of caring and belonging. Yeah, so important. And, you know, Robin, when you talk about the the school culture, it's I think we, we should delve a little bit deeper into that because, 
you know, whenever I get involved where kids being bullied consistently, you know, what's happening over and over again, I'm always struggling with what about the other kids that weren't the bullies, but were there, you know, and why have those students not been encouraged by the school to make sure that they intervene or bring in an adult? And, you know, there's so much to be said for having a, a, a district wide approach to social emotional learning, which thankfully, at least in Connecticut, is it, it's all the buzz right now is we're talking more and more about bringing this kind of approach into our schools. And thank goodness it's long overdue. I'd love to see it really as a truly national movement because it, it impacts the kids that Julie and I and you work with so much, um, so, so frequently. Um, but can you address a little bit about how do we, how do we bring a good culture into a school? It seems like so nebulous. And the truth is, it's not. It's systematic. It is a matter of educating all students about what the difference between teasing and um, and mean behavior, crossing the line. I'm just kidding. Well, you're not kidding if you are aware that the person has not liked teasing in the past, or that mm-hmm. certain subjects are sensitive or hurtful, or if there's a uh, um, a physical, intellectual, or difference that makes a power, uh, you know, a power struggle or a power differential that immediately puts a person as a target. And kids can learn all these different ways of of assessing, is this teasing or not? We also have to um, teach kids how to be upstanders, how to be allies. And unless the whole climate of the school is aware of the actual cognitive um, uh, ways that you can think about relationships, about interactions, and you can you have a set of of you know maybe five or six things on a checklist that you learn that will trigger you to say no, this isn't right. What's going on here isn't right, and that's with the target and with the person who's the aggressor. Um, so, you know, there's uh, one of the things that I've been working on is the uh, building kindness and empathy guide that is uh, being distributed by the uh, Stephen Hernandez is the executive director of the Commission on Women, Children, Seniors, Equity and Opportunity. And it, uh, a video by Jill Nessie with music in it is all about this very, um, this very topic about mean behavior, about bullying. And then the accompanying educational guide uh, is a, a wonderful eight exercises um, of online, either online or in person, of how we can teach kids how to um, know what a good school climate is, how to know what mean behavior is, how to know how to build relationships, how to know how to um, assess friendships. And Mm. those things, we just assume they're taught. It's like, you know, everybody says, nobody teaches me how to manage money in school. Well, managing money and building relationships are two things we really need to be a successful adult. So, yes. Robin, I have a question. I, you know, you 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 just talked about um, you know assessing friendships. Well, it seems that you know one of the very first goals that um, Lenny should ha- should have had in his IEP was understanding the definition of friendship and the different levels of friendship. Right? We have our close friends who we may speak to every day and text them and phone them. Um, then we have people who we you know just you know, pass in the hallway 
they're more like acquaintances because we're all sort of stuck in the same building with each other. You know, it seems that's that's a very important uh, dis- dis- distinguishing factor that um, Lenny would have needed to have. But having said that, when I think of this, right, I think that there are two ways of approaching this. There's the student center approach. That's through Lenny's IEP. Mm-hmm. And then there would be the school-centered approach, which is a more global, how do we change the culture of the school? But before we delve into student-centered and school-centered, could you, is there um, a link or somewhere we can drive people to, to get the resource you just talked about? Yes. There's going to be a page soon, very soon, this week on my website mm-hmm. where they can uh, access this. And the website is www.social, S-O-C-I-A-L dash E-Y-E-S dot org. So I'll have that up there as well. And we're hoping that it gets distributed to all middle schools in Connecticut, because this is a way that everyone can be on the same page and, you know, know, you know, who's a safe bet for friendship, you know, and when to begin or end a relationship. And, you know, there's very easy ways to, uh, to look at that and that, again, a checklist you could carry with you if you need to, and then, you know, look at it after and process, you know, wait a second, I feel uncomfortable around this person, and they're not considering my feelings, and I, uh, they say, they've been saying unkind things to me or behind my back, they don't really care about the things I'm interested in, so why would I want to be friends with them? And it really is about sovereignty about Mm. recognizing yourself as a unique, wonderful human with, uh, you know, qualities that are really, uh, you know, you're willing to share with people and you want to learn from other people. And learning how to be a friend is a process. It doesn't happen naturally to most people. It really doesn't. And, um, you know, so, you know, what are you going to, how are you going to be a friend? And that's really important that you take time to know that you listen to their thoughts, ideas, and feelings, that, you know, you will protect their personal information that is sensitive, then you'll have their back and stand up for them when necessary. And, you know, and all of this needs to be taught. Is the it, point. it needs to be. Julie, you're reading my mind because, you know, <laughs> I keep thinking about so many examples over the years of sitting around an IEP table where parents are reporting real concerns about social skills and saying, you know, I know you're saying he has friends, but I don't get any re- requests for him to come over for a play date. He's never invited to birthday parties. We're not getting phone calls or texts. You know, they're not translating outside of school. And the response, you know, too frequently for my liking is, is what, you know, well, we've, we've heard your concerns and we've gone, you know, to the lengths of even having somebody go and observe and take data. And every time, you know, so-and-so went and did that in the cafeteria, he was talking to his peers and they were having a conversation. Well, did anyone listen to the conversation? Because, you know, what you're talking about, Robin, in terms of understanding how to be a friend, I have, I have many clients with a profile similar to Lenny who want very much to direct the subject of the conversation. You know, the non-preferred discussion is really not something that they want to engage in. And so if you listen to the conversation, it may sound highly inappropriate where the student um, who the parents are concerned about is just talking about, you know, some topic that's of interest to them and none of the peers are engaging in that or 
interested in it, but he's talking. So, you know, we have to dig deeper on some of these because because it's a much harder skill from what every educator, I'm not an educator, but what every educator tells me is these skills are much harder to teach than academics. Right. And you know, Jen, what I will often hear around the IEP table is it's not our responsibility to make sure your child has friends, to which mm-hmm. I say, Ooh. but we can teach the skills he needs in order to make friends. and keep a friend. And you don't have to have thousands of them, by the way. You know, for many kids who um, have a disability, uh, one would be enough. And one of the things I also wanted to just share, this was a practical tip that a parent um, came up with when her different client than, than Lenny, when her child was similarly being treated badly by people that her child thought were their friend. And what she suggested, and I thought this was so clever, um, is she said to her um, son, if your friends, because they kept having him do things that were violations of the school code of conduct, and then he'd get in trouble, you know, pull the fire right, alarm, yeah. do things like that. Mm-hmm. So she kept saying, if if a friend tell, if one of your friends tells you to do something, ask them to do it first. <laughs> and if they're not willing to do it, then they may not be your friend. And it just was a great practical tip that you know. Yeah. Do you have any great handy um, ideas mm-hmm. for parents and educators of how to how to give kids the b- basics of understanding friendship. Yes, I think that 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 is such a wonderful, um, wonderful uh, tip and tool to to give them. And the thing that I would say is if your child is in a group in school, a social emotional learning group, there need to be neurotypical children in that group too. That's really important. And the neurotypical children, I find when they're in our groups, um, I have groups, uh, um, middle school and elementary school in Old Saybrook, and uh, the neurotypical kids in the group are usually the ones who have all these ahas from everything we're teaching, (laughs) because it is, again, these things are not intuitive. We need to really systematically give everyone the tools so that they can have successful friendships. And I, I would say that that is such an important way to uh, assure that. And that's also why I love the curriculum that I wrote so much, because it uses improv exercises and mindfulness exercises and cognitive awareness exercises that, you know, kids are actually engaging in. So, you know, when we hear about something or read about something, it becomes something we know. And you know how many of our um, kids on the spectrum can recite exactly what they need to do to have expected social behavior. And then we don't see it generalized out into the world. Mm-hmm. But when they experience it through these exercises, they actually practice it. What a difference that makes. Because when you mm. experience something, it becomes part of who you are, not just what you know. So I would yes. say that the the biggest um, tip I would give parents is to make sure your uh, child is uh, practicing in 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 ways that they enjoy. Because yes. what I what I experienced is when I was teaching at Cognitive High School, that I would have kids come to my social skills class, and even though the curriculum was you know used all over the country, the kids would like you know really not want to be there. They would uh, yawn and turn away. And I decided to use an improv exercise with them. I had just been in a show the past weekend and we always warm up and we always say, I got your back before we go on stage. 
And I thought, I'm just going to throw out a simple exercise. And this is one where we just turned to the next person and had to clap at the same time. And then they turned to the next person in the circle. And, um, and it came back to me and we went around again and then we went the other way. And the kid said, mm-hmm. you know, basically what else you got? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is exactly what they need because they're making eye contact and it's because they needed to organize themselves to have a plan to, and, and really take in the whole person's body language to, to clap at the same time. And they loved it. And then that's where my second career took off because I spent <laughs> seven years, you know, codifying these exercises and, and doing them in schools so that I know that kids enjoy coming back over and over again. They don't love every exercise because when sure. we poke at, uh, uh, when the exercise pokes at a place that they're really uncomfortable, mm. that's hard. But that's when we have an opportunity to go to the mindfulness part or the cognitive awareness part and talk about, um, you know, resilience and making mistakes and how you don't learn unless you make a mistake. Right. And and to, uh, to make the point again that you brought up that is so, I, I, it's really important that parents hear this and in, in particular parents, uh, you need to find out when a social skills group is offered as part of your child's IEP, whether that group includes Uh, non-disabled, neurotypical students, because many of them don't, and many parents don't even ask the question. And so what you end up with is a social skills group entirely comprised of students who have social skills deficits, and there are no um, peers to model, and there's no practice with a a peer who who has, you know, strong social skills. And, um, And so you have to ask that question when you're at that IEP table. I think it's really a great point. Thank you for bringing it up, Robin. And Robin, before we go to the verdict, which is how we end our show, you said something about, you know, that you have to practice it, you have to experience it. And I was listening to a presentation by a neurologist uh, recently, and don't quote me on this, but the point of, of what she was trying to say was that when somebody tells you something, I think you forget it with like, you know, you could forget it within minutes. But when you actually experience something and you have to experience it 30 times before it gets into your um, working memory, your 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 long term memory. Um, that's how we we make changes. That's how we learn something. And so I just thought that was very interesting to your point where you have to experience it, right? We want transformation. Yeah. We want transformation mm-hmm. that is uh, visible and uh, generalized and uh, brings our students to a new level of awareness of, of how they can be in this world and how they can benefit from being that way. And that is, you know, the path towards sovereignty and towards love and belonging. It's, it's really goes back to your first statement when, when you first joined us today, Robin, which is we want all students and, and all people to have these competencies. And you made a point when you were talking about the situations with bullies and, you know, targets and aggressors that I, I bring up a lot with teams when I talk about this topic, which is 
We also need to focus on the needs and the deficits of the the students who decided to engage in these bullying behaviors, right? So we don't just want to, and of course, we obviously always want to make sure that we um, protect students from being victimized, but we also need to recognize that that kids who are acting in this way, we don't want adults acting that way, right? right? So while they're in school, we want to prevent them from becoming adults who act that way. And we need to get the, to the bottom of that. So I think that the, the key here is about the culture of the school and that all students have these, these, these competencies. Right. We can't leave out the bully. We can't leave out the people doing the mean behavior because they are in pain. Happy people don't hurt other people. That's right. That's, Boy, that's right. True. They're never spoken, right? Wow. Yeah. Jen, should we get to the verdict? Yes, we'll get to the verdict. So the verdict here is is uh, several fold, but I think most um, importantly, hindsight is twenty twenty. Okay, um, but in this particular case with Lenny, the verdict is that teaching social skills in isolated environments and measuring progress based on how a student can identify how to act hypothetically is not necessarily going to produce actual social skills in real world situations. And so when you sit around that IEP team table and your team is reporting that your child has mastered the goal and you're not seeing uh, your child as someone who in the community is able to demonstrate strong social skills, you know, follow up. Don't, don't just say, okay, well, obviously he's socially competent because how we're measuring it may very well be through tests that, uh, uh, that question how well a student who's been taught, a bright student who's been taught repeatedly, um, how to identify in a one-to-one environment, a skill, but isn't doing that at all outside of that therapy room. Right. You know, and there is a, there is an assessment called the test of pragmatic language, um, which many students with autism do really, really well on. But the flaw uh, with that assessment, in my opinion, is it doesn't measure what children can actually do. Um, so it's what they know versus what they do is is very different. And, yeah. you know, there's a takeaway that I'd like everybody to have, and I'm, and I'm sure Robin can pipe in on this. Again, I'm going to go back to if you're listening, you might think, okay, there's a school-wide approach I need to take to this, and there's a, a, a student-centered approach. If it's about your student, how can you reach out to your school team to say, we need to revise the IEP from in the social competency goals to better support and teach my child really what he needs to know. And there's all sorts of scaffolded skills on that. And I know that um, that many of those skills can be taught in Robin's book, which is called Social Eyes Together. And also then there is the the, the school-wide uh, approach. And that is also exercises that can be um, in Robin's book that can be done on a school-wide level. So if you're a parent or even someone working in a school, it's how can you take action to reach out to whether it's the principal or the superintendent or whomever to say, you know what, I'm really interested in making some cultural changes within our district. Robin, what do you have to say about that? I think it's really important that we approach this from many different angles, that we reach all kids. We really need to change 
the uh, the tone in this country. We need to start by changing it in our community, in our school, in our children. And we can teach empathy. We can teach kindness. We need to do it in small groups, individual, one-to-one, and in in as a whole school. And that's the way that we will move from a, uh, a system of um, alienation and people being the other and different to finding the commonalities and finding the ways that we can connect and support each other so that we can move through the rest of our lives in a supportive and um, atmosphere of, of belonging. And so Robin, th- thank you. I just want to make sure that our listeners know, I love your play on words, but just to be clear, it's social and then E-Y-E-S for socialize for your book as correct. well as your it's- website. It's social, E-Y-E-S, and then the word together. And it is on Amazon. I think if you Google that in my name, it will come up on Amazon. And um, it can, there are exercises. I've had parents take my classes. Um, I have one starting March 2nd. I don't know when this is going to air, but March 2nd is a 10-week class. And I've had parents and teachers and uh, psychologists and social workers take that class because a lot of these things can be done within families too. Wonderful. It's wonderful. So I'm, I'm hearing you say we need to think globally, but act locally, yeah. starting yeah. right in our own backyards. And on that note, Robin, you've been a wonderful guest, and we are going to close the file on Lenny and the Locker. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano and Julie Swanson. The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac University Director of Community Programming. Our producer is Brian Murphy. File closed.